0: you pray with me good and gracious God as we come here today we hear of that relentless pursuit you have for us that reckless love that chases after us we know that no matter where we go or what we do or what happens in our lives you are there with us you're coming after us you're following us you're chasing down our souls our spirits our bodies Lord, you've called us to do the same for others, and I pray in this time you'd assure us of that love and assure us that the people of the world who don't believe that this is possible uh, would come to understand that they have a Savior who loves them regardless of what's going on or what they've done or what they're doing or who they are. pray that you make us believe this boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today I bring you greetings not only from my house and myself, but also from the California-Nevada-Hawaii District and its president, President Mike Lang. I have the pleasure of serving as Mike's assistant up in Livermore at our offices. And just to give you a reminder that California-Nevada-Hawaii District is 175 congregations and about 65 schools. Uh, Make sure to remind you of that because during the last year, we've had a lot of time to spend by ourselves, a lot of time in isolation, a lot of time wondering if Anybody's thinking about us, wondering if anybody's going to come back to church eventually. Maybe you're still at home wondering the same thing. And so as I travel around to these 175 congregations along with the rest of our office, I get to spend time with pastors who are hurting, pastors that feel isolated, churches that are suffering and are struggling as well. And so it's a good reminder that you are not alone here at Mount Olive that there's other people who believe the exact same things as you believe. In our region, we cover everything from everything north of Las Vegas in Nevada, everything from Santa Barbara and Bakersfield north to the Oregon border and the entire state of Hawaii. And so it's a joy to be able to tell you that you are not alone and that you're connected to something much bigger than yourselves. And the brothers and sisters throughout the district send their greetings to you today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father through our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a really weird hobby. Actually, it's not too weird. It's just sort of bizarre. It's not even bizarre. It's just different. And maybe it's not different. I am totally into real-life crime shows. Right? And then my wife's just like, why do you spend so much time in the darkness? Why do you spend so much time like watching Dateline? I was like, I don't know, it's intriguing to me. She's like, don't get any ideas. (laughs) Dateline was a news show back in the day and then kind of went all in on murder mysteries. And it's generally always the spouse. But recently I've been watching a couple and they've kind of taken this new tact over the last couple weeks in this season where they're actually looking at missing persons cases. And some of them do end up in murder. Some of them do end up with question marks. But what I always find intriguing there is how parents are just suffering. And even though their kids were maybe mixed up in the wrong crowd or were involved in doing drugs or whatever led, selling drugs that actually led to their disappearance, that doesn't seem to matter anymore. They just want to know where their child is. And as the months and the years wear on and people are struggling and people are suffering and people are hurting, It's almost like they just want closure. And so if that means finding the body of their child, that would give them more peace than wondering about what happened or wondering where they are. And it's this really weird psychology. But it's something that's shocking to me because it's amazing how when it's a child that's missing or when someone's kid is gone, the lengths of which it consumes a parent. And the lengths that they will go to, spending all their time and all their resources and taking up all their friends' times to try and find, and how eager people are to jump in. Now, probably the same way if it's a spouse as well, but uh, usually that's not the story that they're telling. Because the spouses kind of already know what's gone on. Now they're hiding. But the children... And you see how people react if a child goes missing. If a child went missing in Milpitas, the world would basically stop and people would volunteer their time to find someone that they had no clue about. And this is important to me to remember because in today's lesson, in today's sermon, we're going to talk about God's relentless pursuit of us and how it doesn't matter what you've been mixed up in. and It doesn't matter what you have going on in your life or what you've done or or who you've been hurting or what's happening. Our God loves you and cares about you. And he wants you, and he will go to any length to find you. As we just sang, there's no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up. Coming after you. That's who our God is. That's what he's always been about. And so we get to look at ourselves today and ask the question can God even love me? And it's a question that we have an answer to and one that we believe and one that we come here every week or or often to be able to hear a reassurance of who God is and about who we are through His eyes. And if you're like me, you have to hear it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because when you deal with your own kids and you deal with your own spouse and you deal with your own family members and you deal with your friends, we don't experience unconditional love very often. And we don't show unconditional love very often because we're sinful, broken people. So it's important from time to time that we just step back and say, the Bible tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans. It's also important to know that Paul describes you and me and all of humans as enemies of God at one point. And yet, although we were far off from him, He sent Jesus into the world for us. It's also important that Paul writes to the Colossians that you were dead in your sins, and yet Christ made you alive. And so it's really important to understand that the the psychology that we understand God with doesn't quite add up, but the way he sees us is the way that those parents on those shows chase after their kids and give up everything, including his only son Jesus, to die for you, your sinful, broken self. It's also important to remember that as you go through life, you might not always be convinced of it. But it's true. Because when our God says something, it happens. And so we look at who we are in light of being sinful and once far off from God, and yet somehow he miraculously calls us his own and makes us his own through Jesus. But then we have to look at ourselves and then wonder why we have this tension where we feel like maybe we're not loved by God. Maybe we're not forgiven. Maybe we don't believe this. When I read the Word, I see how God calls us to live holy and set-apart lives. They're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And yet, boy, I don't know, I find myself falling into the same traps as the worldly people around me who don't know who Jesus is. Paul wrestled with this quite a bit. Romans 7. The things I want to do, I do not do. Things I don't want to do, I just keep doing. Oh, wretched man am I. What a sinful person I am. And yet I am redeemed by God's grace. Martin Luther struggled with this as well. He had this Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what it means is at the same time, saint and sinner. And he wrestled with the fact that how can I be holy and set apart and God sees me as pure and as perfect and yet I keep sinning and messing things up in my family. I keep sinning and messing things up in my life and with other people. And yet Luther just understood the fact I am forgiven and I am saved and I am redeemed. What they understood more than anything is what we call the missio dei, the mission of God. What is the mission of God? And if we're God's followers, don't you think we should be on the same mission as he is? The mission of God is that he relentlessly pursues his creation. That he tries to reconcile, that he will go to any lengths, in sending, including sending Jesus into the world to suffer and die for us, so that you can be saved, so that he can have you back with him. And so it's really important to understand that we have a God who loves us and cares about us and will go to any lengths, and it's not just us, and it's not just me, and it's not just you, it's the people of the world, but he's been doing it from the very beginning of creation. Our first reading from Genesis chapter 3. You know the story probably. They're told not to eat from any fruit or any tree. They can eat from any tree except for the one tree. And the devil comes in as a serpent... And slithers, or he probably walks at that point, right? Because he hasn't been punished yet. And he walks up to them and starts talking. Now this is a different kind of world, I guess, before the fall of sin. Right? A snake comes up and starts talking to him. A snake has legs. It's really bizarre and interesting. People are naked, but nobody knows it. And he convinces them that they can eat from the tree because they can then become like God. And so Adam and Eve go and they eat from the tree and I'm not going to say who we blame and my wife gets upset when I talk about you know, her causing me to sin just like the woman in the Bible. But here we have the story of Adam and Eve falling into sin. The eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Very next thing that happens. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman made me do it. Our God's first reaction to his perfect creation falling into sin is not to come down and wipe them off the face of the earth. It's not to distance himself, scratch all of creation, and start over again. No, his first reaction is to walk down and spend time with his creation and figure out what's going on and to figure out a solution as fast as he could to make sure he could win his people back. This is the kind of God we have. This is the kind of God who's willing to come, be amongst broken people, and find a new way for them to be restored and to be reconciled and to be made right. It's amazing. He comes and he punishes the snake. And recently I was hiking in uh, Texas and I was walking through Texas in the, in the nighttime. It was early morning, 5.30 in the morning, I got up to walk. And I decided to go by myself that day and I was going in a nature preserve. And as I was coming back, the light started coming up and a snake was slithering across the path. Now, there might be some weirdos in here who like snakes. I don't like snakes. They're cursed by God. They crawl on their belly. They're weird little creatures. And when they're hurrying, they grow really, really fast, and it's kind of scary and freaky. And so I'm watching this happen, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't care if something's rustling in the woods I don't want to see a snake on the pathway. And what if it was dark and I came near that snake? And what kind of snake is it? Don't know. People are like, what did it look like? I'm like, it wasn't very big. They're like, did it have this? I'm like, I didn't look at it that long because I was getting out of there. Ironically, I came around the corner and I heard rustling in the woods and I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's not cool either. And uh, it was an armadillo, which is just another weird prehistoric creature that's kind of freaky. So you have this cursing of the snake. You have this idea that women are going to have pain and men are going to have to work and provide for their family and the creation's all kind of messed up and there's consequences to our sin. And yet, he says, and I will send my son Jesus into the world to crush the serpent's head. In that moment, there's consequences. And yet, he says, I'm going to have to give up my son. That's the only way that I can make this right. And in that moment, He comes not to condemn them, but He comes to save them. Right? And it's the same thing we hear from Jesus when He comes into the world. Right? It's the same thing when He's talking to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. We're all familiar with that one, right? And for some reason, 3.17 doesn't get that much press, but I think it's equally as important. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The same God who comes not to condemn Adam and Eve at the very beginning is constantly doing this with His creation. All of Israel, as they wandered in the wilderness and they grumbled and they complained, God kept bailing them out. They wanted kings. He gave them kings. It was messed up and it was crazy. They wanted to be like everyone else. The biggest slap in the face to me... If I was God. The Israelites saying to themselves, we know you love us and you want what's best for us, but we want to be like everyone else. And we want to have a king just like everybody else because yes, you're good, but look at how good that is. And God says, that's not going to be good. And he gives them a king, and they mess it up, and it turns south, and yet he still gives them back. He brings them back into the fold, and loves them. We see it with David, right? Has, a, has an affair with Bathsheba, sends her husband out to have him murdered in the front lines of war, tries to cover it all up, and yet God still makes him an incredible ruler and the person that he has chosen to lead people forward, to write the Psalms. So Jesus, in this passage that we read in Luke chapter 19 today, He goes to this tax collector, Zacchaeus' house. He's a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. We know Zacchaeus, maybe, as a child. And he climbs up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus calls him down, and he's this very wealthy man who's broken and sinful and hated by a lot of people. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to need your extra bedroom tonight. And people scoff and say, "What kind of rabbi, what kind of leader, what kind of teacher would go and sleep with sinners?" And Zacchaeus kind of tries to get himself out of trouble and trying to justify himself. And Jesus has this famous quote, "The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." And so he does this through all of his things. He takes people like Peter and John and, and brings them along and he saves them despite their brokenness. He takes Matthew, a tax collector, and says, I can use you even though you are the modern-day cable guy. Tax right? collectors, I always think, are the modern-day cable companies. Like They can just raise their rates whenever they want. They're like, sorry, your internet went up. It's like, well, I don't want that anymore. They're like, tough. Get new internet. are like, I don't want the hassle. Just charge me. And so here we have jesus going about and then jesus is obviously crucified resurrected and then who does he pick to be the person to write two-thirds of the new testament he picks saul the great persecutor of the christian church and he picks saul and he has him transformed by the gospel the one who's overseeing the death of many many christians including stephen the first martyr in acts chapter seven eight and nine Saul's converted in chapter 9. He becomes Paul. And then Paul still wrestles with the fact that he's broken and sinful, and yet God told him he was made right, and God told him he was perfect, and God told him he was holy, and he can't quite wrap his mind around it. But he says, if this is how God has treated me... And if he came to seek and he could even save me, then there's a lot of hope for the world out there. I need to tell the story. I need to get out there. And I need to be compelled by the Spirit to go share the good news with other people because there's a world out there who just doesn't think that they are loved, they don't think they're valued, and they don't think they have a purpose. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar. That there's a world out there that people don't think they could be loved by God there's a world out there that people don't feel loved, they don't feel valued, and they don't feel like they have a purpose. It sounds a lot like Milpitas. And maybe if you're honest with yourself, hopefully you weren't in charge of killing Christians, but Paul sounds a lot like you. And he sounds a lot like me. Someone who is far off from God, who is an enemy, who is broken and sinful, who is still broken and sinful, and yet our God comes not to condemn us, but he comes to save us. He comes to seek and to save the lost. He comes with that reckless love and that relentless pursuit. And just like Paul, who thought to himself, if this is what God's mission is, and I'm going to go on mission with God and for God, maybe I should have the same mindset. And so now, as Christian people, we're called to go and to do what Paul did. To proclaim the good news to people who just don't believe that God could possibly love them. To the Nicodemuses of the world, to the Zacchaeuses of the world, to the Pauls of the world. To your neighbor. To your friend. Who doesn't think that they're loved by anyone. Certainly not God, who knows their inner self. They're barely loved by the person they see in the mirror because of the things they do and the relationships they've messed up and the things they struggle struggle with and are addicted to. They need to know their value, that they were worth it for God to send Jesus into the world to be crucified and die for us. And they need to know they have a purpose. And our purpose as God's people is to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus to a world that needs to hear it. I read the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. The son wants his father dead, basically. Give me my half of the inheritance, I'm over you, I'm done with this. And he takes off, and he lives a whole bunch of, th- bunch of lives, and he parties, and he goes, and he has all sorts of fun, and does all sorts of sinful living. He gets to the point where he's sleeping and feeding pigs. As a Jewish person, this is like the lowest place he could possibly get taking care of animals that are completely unclean. And we don't get to hear what the father's thinking about the whole time. Where is he? What's he doing? Never sleeping at night. Always wondering what's next. Always wondering where is he going to go? When is he going to show up in the news dead? Maybe it would be better if he just came back. Or he just, I just found out where he was and, and how bad it was. And, Maybe he's homeless, but maybe he's dead and maybe that gives me peace. The son gets so low that he goes back to his father and says, make me a servant because at least your servants don't have to feed pigs. And while he was still off, the father came running to him. He said, son, I love you. I prepared a feast for you. Wraps his arms around him, puts him in a nice cloak, and brings him back to party. I bet that father wasn't sitting at home every night wondering when his son was going to come home. He was pursuing him, trying to find him, probably exhausting resources, of which he only had half of what he once had, to find his son. And when his son finally reappears, he doesn't condemn him. He saves him. I look at the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, I wonder if there's a lesson for all of us. And maybe all of our faith walk boils down to this. And maybe this is what Christianity is all about and being a disciple is all about. The pastor passes him, the rabbi passes him, and the Samaritan, who's considered a half-breed by Jewish standards, stops, cares for the man who's hurting, cares for the man who's broken, who he should have no time for. He gets him... A hospital leaves him there, pays, and says, Keep him as long as you can. I will bring him back. I will come back to pick him up. And if I owe you more money, just let me know. And in that story, what I see, it all boils down. They said, Who is the brother in that situation? That's the question that was asked. And the answer was, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, Go and do likewise. As I read the Bible over this last pandemic year, and as I searched deep, a couple of themes popped out to me, but one of them is, what if following Jesus was really this easy? Were you shown mercy by God Himself? <laughs> then be merciful to people. Were you forgiven for the sins you didn't think you could be forgiven for? Then forgive the sins of people that they don't think they could be forgiven for. Have you been loved? Then love. Have you been shown peace? Be a peacemaker. If you have been shown Grace be graceful. If God has relentlessly pursued you with reckless love, what should you do to your neighbor? Relentlessly pursue them with reckless love. Chase them down no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way. And maybe it's not your neighbor down the street, but maybe it's your children. And maybe it's your parents who you're still angry about something or harboring ill feelings. Maybe it's just going and showing mercy and saying, we need to be reconciled. This is important. And maybe they laugh at you and scoff at you and spit in your face and say, I don't want that. And maybe in that moment you realize how amazing it is that our God still relentlessly pursues us. Because there's a whole world out there doing it and doing it to him. And even as a believer and a follower of Jesus, I do it to him as well. I'm sure you do as well. Friends, we have a God who loves us, and cares about us, and pursues us, even when things don't make sense. One who wants nothing more than his creation to be reconciled to him, and nothing more than he wants his creation and his reconciled ones to go out and pursue the world. In some weird, weird way. God thought the best plan was to send his son Jesus in the world, have him live a perfect life, have him crucified, buried, and risen, and then 40 days later, leave. Which is just crazy plan to me. He's like, yep, I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. I'll let Peter, Peter, the guy who puts his foot in his mouth all the time, the one who denies him, we'll let him take the reins for a while, him and his little merry band of ten buddies. And they're going to be the ones who are going to bring Christianity in this world to tell the good news of Jesus. If I were God, I think I would have just sent Jesus on a worldwide tour for a couple centuries. A couple millennia. Touch my hands, touch my side. What do you want? You see I'm alive. But our God said, no. It's the ones who understand the grace, mercy, peace, love, joy, hope that I showed them from the very beginning of time through my son Jesus. They're the ones. They're the ones who can bring others to know Jesus. And that's your call. And that's my call. And I pray it for all of us that we do it boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen.